0: This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Maya Culpa Podcast. On Monday evening, Politico published a draft Supreme Court opinion authored by Justice Samuel Alito in a case over a 15-week abortion ban passed in Mississippi an opinion in which a majority of the court would vote to overturn the federal protections for first trimester abortion established in Roe v. Wade and fortified in Casey v. Planned Parenthood.
1: President Biden again warning if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, it could be just the beginning. The President warning of what Republicans and President Trump's
0: MAGA movement, he says... Uh, could do next. Republicans spent decades building the right-wing judicial machinery that enabled this week's devastating Supreme Court draft decision that, when made official, would nearly overturn 50 years of abortion rights in America. But for the moment, they'd rather you don't pay attention to that fact. Instead. Fox News is gaslighting its listeners again, pretending that the
2: landmark ruling would in fact be no big deal. If the court threw out Roe, what we were going to find is when everybody woke up the next day, the sky will not have fallen. You know, there there won't have been a, a catastrophe. It'll be like it was before Roe, which is, you know, about 30 states had real prohibitions against abortion, 20 states... Regulated it somewhat more loosely. Uh, democracy was happening. There, were, you know, people were arriving at consensus in the states. And what you will find the day after this happens is, if a woman in the United States wants to get an abortion, she'll be able to get an abortion. It might be a little bit more difficult depending on where she is, but abortion is not gone. So, I think to the extent that they're trying to raise hysteria here and all the fundraising that goes with hysteria, it's because right now you can pretend that the sky is falling. But the day after the decision, it'll be clear the sky is not falling and whatever value they get out of this will be lost.
3: If somebody is living in a state that wants to put a little bit more of a restriction, this this is not an opinion, by the way, that is going to undo abortion in this country. States may put some more restrictions on it, um, but people have the right to leave. They can go live somewhere else where it's more of a free for all and they can do whatever they want.
0: While it's true that overturning Roe would not make abortion illegal nationwide, it would unleash a new wave of restrictions and bans virtually overnight, affecting tens of millions of Americans.
4: It's estimated that about half of the states would act to immediately ban abortions. A bunch of states have laws on the books saying that if the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade, abortion will immediately become banned in that state. Other states have laws on the books from before Roe vs. Wade was decided that ban abortion. And they remain on the books, but they haven't been enforced for the last 50ish years because
0: of Roe v. Wade. Currently, 13 states have so-called trigger laws that would heavily restrict a ban abortion if Roe fell, according to the Guttmacher Institute. 18 have unenforced pre-row abortion bans or post-row restrictions currently blocked by courts that could be put back into effect. Still others, like Florida and Oklahoma, have passed restrictions or bans on abortion set to go into effect this summer.
3: Other states are looking to us. There are uh, 12 other states across the country who have also have a trigger law in place because we want to be prepared on day one to begin saving lives of unborn, innocent children.
0: The Supreme Court overturning row would also free up anti-abortion movement to pursue other more ambitious goals, like pushing Congress to enact federal bans or restrictions on
3: abortion. Abortion bans are not pro-life, they're pro-poverty and pro-inequality. I'll tell you what we can do about it in a moment, but first let me explain how these bans worsen inequalities. You've probably heard of the two abortion cases making their way through the courts, but it's not just Texas and Mississippi's new bans. For years, Republican state lawmakers, almost entirely white men, have been chipping away at reproductive freedom. Enacting laws that lead to clinic closures force people to travel hundreds of miles for abortions and create near-insurmountable barriers for low-income people, especially people of color. Now make no mistake, bans like those in Texas and Mississippi won't stop abortions. Wealthier people will always have access, but millions of low-income people will be forced to give birth with dire consequences for both parent and child. And depending on the
0: language of the final ruling itself, the high court overturning row could set the stage for the court to erode other legal precedents related to privacy and civil rights. What happens if you have a state ch- change the law saying that, that, that children who are LGBTQ can't be in classrooms
5: with other children? Is that that legit under the way that the decision is written? What are the next things that are going to be attacked? Because this mega crowd is really the most extreme political organization that's existed in American history.
0: Now that seems clear that Supreme Court will take away the constitutional right to abortion. Conservatives are urging the court to attack LGBTQ rights. Ben Shapiro, the radical conservative founder of the right-wing website The Daily Wire is calling on the Supreme Court to overturn Obergefell, the landmark ruling that finds same-sex marriage is a constitutional right. Justice Alito alluded to this in his decision, suggesting that the case that are the basis for modern-day LGBTQ civil rights were wrongly
3: decided, including Lawrence versus Texas. It says that unless a right is specified in the Constitution or deeply rooted in our nation's history and traditions, it doesn't qualify as a constitutional right. And scholars say there are many things we think of as rights that weren't around when the Constitution was written, not in our history, there weren't a lot of a lot of gay marriages when the Constitution was written, or interracial marriages, contraceptives were illegal. And they say that Alito's argument could cut those rights down, no matter what he says, if someone brings a challenge to them. And they note that the last time the Republican Party wrote a platform in 2016, it called for overruling Roe versus Wade and the case that legalized gay marriage.
0: Now this is all very fucking bad. Not mentioned contrary to what most Americans actually fucking want. A majority of Americans say the Supreme Court should uphold Roe vs. Wade, a Washington Post-ABC News poll conducted last week says. The survey finds that 54% of Americans think the 1973 Roe decision should be upheld, while 28% believe it should be overturned, a roughly 2 to 1 margin. Americans support keeping abortion rights as they are. They also want it to remain legal in their state, if Roe is overturned. But that's not what most are fixated on at the moment. Instead, Washington's political media is abuzz with the race to uncover who leaked the court's draft plan. And no one is more outraged than Senate Republicans who lined up on Tuesday to condemn the leak as a dangerous attack on democracy itself. You saw the leak from the Supreme Court, an unprecedented thing. This kind
1: of stuff doesn't happen. I don't know that I'm ever aware of a leak. This is not like Congress where everything leaks. And trust me, I've done enough testimony. Things are leaking during uh, closed door hearings. I get it. The Supreme Court doesn't have leaks, so if there's not a thorough criminal investigation into who leaked privileged documents about a draft decision from the United States Supreme Court, where a small, small, tiny handful of people have access to it, then we live in a clown show state. We live in a clown show state, folks, for perspective. The FBI sent, I believe it was 15 people, to investigate a garage pull. Remember that, the NASCAR Bubba Wallace thing? And thought it was a
0: noose. Well, it's a garage pull. Like, basically on every garage of every NASCAR track that anyone's ever been at. It didn't matter. 15 people, and if they don't send people to investigate this, then again, we live in a clown show. By every indication, this was yet another escalation in the radical left's ongoing campaign to bully and intimidate federal judges and substitute mob rule for the rule of law. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said in a statement, without offering even a fucking hint of evidence to support his incendiary claims. That's Rich,
4: Mitch, you're going to tell us about the rights, the 50 years of rights, the 50, the decades of precedent that has just been spit on and thrown away in this draft opinion. Might be tweaked a little bit, but the bottom line is this is setting women back in so many different ways with so many different consequences. And you're going to tell us that the story is the leak. Really? The leak is fascinating. It's historic. It's never happened before. And whoever did it, it's interesting because I think we're going to find out who did it. I think some people already know who did it. And I think a lot of people are already alluding to who did it. And it's not who you think, Mitch. But even if it is, that's not the story we care about, Okay, The story that women across America and the men who love them or the men who might like sex care about. Is our fundamental right to abortion that this draft opinion overturns and that's the story just to give you a sense of news judgment and what people care about that's what they care about just i just had to say that i'm sorry i i that was disgusting that was sickening to watch
0: senate majority leader chuck schumer delighted in the gop's apparent squirming likening his Republican counterparts to the dog that caught the bus at a Tuesday afternoon press conference.
3: Of course, Republicans have sought this outcome for years, so you'd think they'd be celebrating such a decision, but they aren't. No, this morning, Republicans are shamefully scrambling, scrambling to try and distract from the main issue. Republicans are spending all their focus on the leak Because they don't want to talk about Roe v. Wade where they know they're on the wrong side of history and on the wrong side
0: of American people. Why would the GOP want to avoid talking about something they've been plotting for nearly 40 years? This was, after all, why people held their noses and voted for Donald Trump. The theory went, if Trump can win, he can stock the court with conservative judges. By and large, he delivered. Three conservative justices were put on the bench during Trump's short tenure. Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Comey Barrett. And Trump's judges may have refused to overturn the election, but they've wasted no
5: time overturning Roe versus Wade. Don't let concerns about a leak from the Supreme Court distract from the threat that the draft opinion that is now public represents. Roe v. Wade has been considered a matter of settled law for nearly 50 years. The vast majority of Americans agree with Roe v. Wade. And regardless of what your thoughts are on a woman's right to choose, and I support a woman's right to choose, I will fight to protect a woman's right to choose what happens to her own body. Regardless of your thoughts on that matter, the rationale you used in this draft opinion to take back the protections afforded by Roe v. Wade call into question so many other rights and so many other areas of what has been considered settled law, whether it's interracial marriage, access to contraception or so many other fundamental rights. So it is alarming colleagues, it is alarming. But why so mad Republicans? Oh, I know why. By taking away a
0: woman's right to choose and blocking access to abortions for tens of millions of women, the GOP has awakened the democratic base. What once looked like a cakewalk into the midterms has now been thrown completely in the air. Supporters of abortion rights and their democratic allies predicted that the thunderclap heard Monday night with Politico's publication of Justice Alito's draft decision would reverberate through to the full campaign
3: and possibly beyond. This means for November and the midterm elections, the president is talking about the fact that this is a basic fundamental right. It's been the law of the land since 1973. And he says if it is overturned, then it's up to elected officials and... And individuals in America, voters, to go out and vote for those elected officials in November. Now, we've seen this be a, such a big issue, both on the right and left, and likely this is going to drive a lot of those political campaign dollars for the Democratic Party. When you thought inflation was going to be the biggest issue this November, abortion potentially can eclipse that.
0: That, they said, could make an election that so far has largely appeared to be a referendum on President Biden and his party into a choice between what is really happening A vote for Democrats is a vote for sanity and basic human rights. A vote for the GOP is a vote for authoritarianism, for theocracy and control over a woman's body. This was something the GOP desperately wanted to avoid. And that's the real reason they're so upset about the leak of Alito's decision.
3: Because Democrats think that this is a huge motivating issue for the midterm elections. They've been facing lots of headwinds on the uh, inflation, economy, immigration. Uh, They believe that this is something that can reframe the midterms, galvanize their supporters around this issue now that it's uh, no longer just something that's talked about as a possibility, but really uh, at the forefront here.
0: But there's also another reason and the GOP has cranked up the outrage machine on the leak. It allows them to distract from the coming January
3: 6th hearings, which promise to be devastating to Republican lawmakers. Now, having all but rolled back abortion rights nationwide, Republicans are in the mood to talk about anything else. On Fox News, conservative columnist Joe Concha laid out the latest Republican conspiracy theory, saying that the leaker, remember, nobody knows, for sure, seriously, a liberal, and they're out to destroy America. It didn't take long for that crazy theory to make it to Congress, where Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell blamed a liberal agitator for leaking the Supreme Court decision, saying they hated the rule of law. And that worked its way down to the Daily Wire, where far-right columnist Matt Walsh said that the leak was 100 million times worse than the January 6th insurrection because liberals did this one. Republicans won't reveal how they know the leaker is a liberal, just that they're certain he or she is. And Republicans have a good reason to keep spinning this story, because every minute that the media is talking about a liberal leaker, they aren't discussing how complicit Republicans have been in the incredible damage about to be caused by the Supreme Court when it repeals Roe vs. Wade. And by keeping Washington focused on something it loves more than anything, a witch hunt for a leaker, Republicans can coast into the midterm elections without having to meaningfully defend their position. But all that's ancient history. Even if the January 6th committee
0: is nowhere near done with its work, Republicans don't want to talk about it anymore. So they need a fucking distraction. And so voila, GOP Outrage Theater has a new uber villain. The leaker. Yeah, it's the leaker. He sounds like a fucking Batman villain, or some kind of
2: pharmaceutical side effect. The staff, or some members within that had access to that, to that writ, to that uh, that opinion, have released it to the press with the with the intent to to disturb the American citizenry and cause protest and riot. And I, I predict this is going to turn violent. So, you know, there, there's some uh, woke democrat within the uh, staff infrastructure most likely of the supreme court that got access to this thing and they they thought it was a good idea to leak it and they're going to cause they're going to cause quite a disturbance across the country it's happening already and all i can tell you is that america is not in the mood to to play with these liberals We've lost 96 million children in the womb since 73. As it stands,
0: Republicans are effectively rewriting history while pinning blame for the Supreme Court leak on an unnamed and possibly non-existent agent of the shadowy radical left.
5: For years, the radical left has attacked the institution of the Supreme Court. Last night, it appears their campaign hit a new low. Historically, the justices, clerks, and staff have prized and protected the court's confidentiality. The justices must be able to discuss and deliberate in an environment of total trust and privacy. Americans cannot receive a fair trial if politicians, pundits, bullies, and mobs get a say in court a day before mcconnell spoke
0: a conservative daily wires matt walsh tweeted that the supreme court leak was an attack on our system 100 million times more serious than the Capitol riot urging his audience to never listen to democrats concerned about saving democracy The Daily Wire's resident celebrity pundit, Ben Shapiro, went even further, speculating that the leak was designed to create threat to the life and limb of any justice who signs onto the majority opinion. Now, nobody should be fooled. The reason right-wingers are suddenly fans of propriety again is because so much of their political agenda requires using the Supreme Court to advance policy far too unpopular for the democratic process. This is what's called tyranny of the minority. We're having our lives overturned and our rights challenged by a group of vocal fucking lunatics who claim to speak for all Americans and claim to occupy the moral high ground. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is none other than Ali Velshi. The host of MSNBC's Velshi and The Last Word has spent the last several weeks covering the war in Ukraine for NBC News. A born political street fighter, Velshi continued his attacks on the GOP's authoritarian push, even as he dodged incoming fire from Russian artillery. Upon his return stateside, Velshi authored a blistering attack on what he saw as the end of shame in the GOP ranks, writing that red lines don't exist anymore amongst elected Republicans, because there is little expectation that there will be any consequences at all to crossing them. Velshi joins Mea culpa amidst the unprecedented leak of Justice Samuel Alito's Supreme Court decision that would overturn Roe v. Wade and turn back the clock on access to legal and safe abortions for millions of women. But more than that, It's an emboldened GOP flexing its muscles and using the Supreme Court to push through laws that are deeply fucking unpopular and far outside the mainstream of what most Americans want. Get ready for a doozy, folks, and only on mea culpa. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Ali, the New York Times is reporting that, and I'm gonna quote, the leak on Monday night of a draft Supreme Court ruling Overturning I, I mean, I honestly I can't believe this. You know, I'm fifty-five. I've never thought I was gonna hear these words, especially coming out of my mouth. Overturning Roe versus Wade signals a seismic shift in American politics and law. Right. um, Pretending, you know, sweeping change for women in much of the country and upending the legislative and campaign landscape at every level of government just six months before midterm elections. Now, this is a moment that has been four decades in the making. And the reason why many conservatives held their nose and voted for Trump while he packed the court Right. The cultural significance is obviously massive and will present all manner of hardships now for women. But let's discuss first what this really means politically. Right. The Democrats have been looking for any opportunity to fire up their base. Do you think that this could help turn the tide in November? You know, you mentioned something interesting, four decades in the making, right? So anybody who's been
1: watching this carefully knows that um, the the, the Federalist Society and judges, um, even at a local level where nobody pays attention to their local uh, judicial elections. So if the the Chamber of Commerce of the Federalist Society, the Koch brothers, throw five, 10,000 bucks into a local race, somebody can win, right? So this has been going on for a long time, and it's unclear why many Democrats who believe in the right to choose or just believe in personal liberties, didn't sort of take this more seriously as it was developing. And by the time it it became a thing, um, it had maybe gone too far. And then with all the people who were complaining about how does anybody uh, continue to support Donald Trump, how do people on the right uh, support him, given his behavior, given the way in which his lifestyle is out of keeping with particularly conservative uh, Christians, you're right smart conservatives, smart people who did not uh, believe in Roe v. Wade for a long time said, hold your nose, because if he gets one Supreme Court um, appointment, that's a good deal. And he ended up with more than that. Uh, so so I think the the idea that it was worth holding your nose because this was such a central matter to conservative Republicans, real conservative Republicans, uh, this is proof of what that was. And this is also proof to Democrats that the arc of history, though you'd like to think it always bends towards, uh, to, 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 towards justice, it sometimes needs to be pulled a little bit. It needs to be encouraged to go that way. Things don't just fix themselves and democracy doesn't doesn't just flourish because you like it and because it's there and because people taste it. Democracy is like a cactus. It doesn't need a ton of work, but once in a while, you got to give it a little water. Once in a while, you got to do something. And so this is, as you said, four decades of careful crafting while nobody cared about what was going on, because there are all sorts of people who believe, as many of us did, that Roe v. Wade won't go away. That can't possibly be the case. We have young people who have never known anybody who had to struggle to get an abortion or had to think about it or get a back alley abortion or go to another state who even said when this this current conversation started about these cases that uh, are before the Supreme Court that come on, guys, don't don't overreact. We're not going to lose Roe v. Wade. And voila, we're about to lose Roe v. Wade.
5: Yeah, look,
0: you know, one of the biggest problems that I see here was when I sat in Trump's office after he became president-elect and they presented to him, uh, it may have been the Federalist Society, it may have been the Heritage Society. It was one of these organizations. And they gave him a multi-page list of potential federal uh, jurists, uh, potential you know Supreme Court nominees. And it was an entire list. And listen, in all fairness, um, no president probably knows any of these folks, maybe one or two, especially the ones that may sure. be in their home state, but at least they have somebody that's doing some due diligence on these individuals. Well, he didn't feel it was necessary. It was a list. It was an important group of people that were backing him. The evangelicals right. uh, are extremely you know, tight with this organization and to appease them he decided to start checking the list off. Uh, One, two, okay, right, I've got, I, I have more, I've put in more judges right than anybody else. That's not necessarily an accomplishment. Reading a name off and appointing somebody is not an accomplishment. The accomplishment would have been having some sort of a process where people would look into these individuals. What's the due diligence? Not just that they kissed a lot of ass for the Republican party and that as a result, they're going to become a judge for life. And the same thing goes, goes forth with Supreme Court judges. First of all, I'm against this job-for-life bullshit, to be honest with you. Yep. I hate the notion. Give them 20 years. Give them, 20, give them 30 years. I don't care. Right. But not for life. Could you imagine that, that, these, that these new folks that are in their 50s, that they could be on the Supreme Court for 40 years and then decide yep. that they're not going to leave? And then the bigger problem comes through. It's really our science has really outstripped religion it's outstripped you know it's just outstripped everything the technology that's out there today and what was the big you know what was the big uh, tumult that came out well there was a baby that was born premature and because of technology and science they were able to thank god a million times spare that child's life 10, Mm -hmm. 15, 20 years ago, that child would have had no shot at all. The child was just about under a pound. There was no chance that that child would live. But technology has changed things. So now they're saying, well, that's a viable life. So my question then to these folks would be, let's go back to, I forget what year it was, you know, um, the test tube baby that we remember, right? And so on. Uh, I think it was somewhere, what, around, probably I don't know. In the seventies, we were wow. we were very Sorry, young at the time yeah. when the test tube baby um, was created. Right? Well, then, therefore, life really starts at the very moment of right of inception. I mean, this is this is very difficult. It's a very difficult conversation to have. It's not whether or not you know. There's a law. I. I I can't even put my finger on it. I'm so confused as to mm. what these what the Supreme Court, what Judge Alito is referring to. This is merely a matter of a person's choice. And for fifty right. years, next year I believe will be fifty years that it's been the law of the land. And it's yep. such a hot topic, you know, button and it always has been. Yep. What's your th- What's your thoughts on it? You understand my point that I'm trying to make, here yeah.
1: very inarticulately. Well, so help me no, out. But here. I, I think the, the 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 larger point you're making here is that these things are all important and worthy of discussion, right? So there's two things to look at here. One is is this zero sum game that everybody's got going on, in which uh, the other side you 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 take the opportunities you've got to win, and the other side loses. The second is the the, the the debate that people should have in that they, they understand other people's views. They agree that we're a pluralistic society. So everybody's views on abortion are not going to be the same and that your goal shouldn't be to convince anyone else of your particular view on it. However, the concept of rights um, is what we're struggling with, right? The idea that we have rights being eroded on a lot of fronts, And as a democracy-loving person or people, what we have to sit there and think about is what the preservation of rights looks like. So we can have completely different views on all sorts of things, from abortion to climate change, to uh, minimum wage, to health care, to unionization, whatever it is. And we should relish the idea that we live in a society where we can have different views on things and uh, we don't go to jail just because of our, our, our views. That said... Um, th- then have that discussion. Understand that is the preservation of a woman's right to make a choice about when and, and how uh, she has a pregnancy and, and has a child, does that trump your moral views about uh, where conception begins? It's an, It's an important conversation, Michael. It's an important conversation, and we should be having that. But that's not the conversation we actually ever have at all. It is my view is X. And I am now in a position to to uh, have that view prevail versus your, your view. And I feel like that's where everything in our politics is right now. Once we decide that we're a rights-based society and that democracy should prevail, which means debates should ensue and we should have them properly, but we but the preservation of rights is is uh, is a primacy i think that's where it becomes important to me that's something that people no matter where you are on the ideological spectrum should believe in the the, the view that that abortions have to be outlawed, um, regardless of, of what the circumstances are, does ignore a lot of scientific stuff. It does ignore people's rights. It does ignore the reality of how abortions take place if you do outlaw them. So you have to have a full discussion about it. But that's not where we are. We're in a zero sum game about now the court stack in my favor. And we're going to do something we've been waiting 40 years plus to do.
0: Yeah, but you bring up a great point on moral views. I don't want to take away anybody's belief system. Correct. Correct. You you, should be you and let me be me. But it's not working that way. You know, going, I wanted to go back to the test tube baby concept for a second because it was actually 1978. It was in England when the first um, test tube baby in vitro, but it was done right through a test tube to. Parents yep. that were unable to conceive. Interestingly it's the enough, in the news, it's all we it's all we talked about. Ben. Do you remember the things that they called the doctor? Right, he was Frankenstein and so yep. on. Well, let's just compare that and contrast it to what's going on right now, because science, right, has been able to save this baby that was born, that was you know had to be um, you know C-sectioned uh, under yep. the you know under a pound, and the baby thank god again lived yeah all of a sudden right everything changes that everybody's concept on when life begins and so on well here it began in a test tube in england yep. right and that child interestingly enough um who i believe the name was louise joy brown um was born right or i should say right um five pounds, 12 ounces, actually larger than I was at birth. I was five pounds, 10 ounces, right? So my point is technology has changed everything. Yeah. And despite that, we keep advancing every day in technology. That's not supposed to make your point of view right or mine wrong. Just like I said before, you be you and let me yeah. be me. If you, if yeah. you believe in, you know, in pro-choice, that should be your right. But right. not according to not according this Supreme Court in a country that was founded on the fact and you can have
1: agreements or disagreements about whether the Pilgrims were uh, religious liberals or religious conservatives, but they came here so that the government's view was not imposed upon them. They could practice their religion, which was not particularly liberal, but they could practice it as they wished. Right. So that is the basis of what we've got. Then we have a Constitution that into which that was actually written. But despite that, there are people who believe that you do you is not actually a thing. There are few countries in the world in which that is constitutionally enshrined as clearly as it is in the United States. There are some, but that's the point. The The point is you should enjoy debates and discussions with people who do not have your point of view you shouldn't tolerate them you should actually enjoy them you should embrace them because in a lot of countries you have a conversation about a point of view a political point of view and the next thing you're you're thrown in jail and i know this hits close to home because 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 you've had experiences like this but for most people yeah, they politically i did you yep. not yep. get them there and and that's the thing that we've we've moved away from the idea that i should embrace that i shouldn't tolerate people who have a different view i should relish the fact that we live in the same society. We may not want different things. If you don't want an abortion, don't have an abortion. If you don't want to have a gay marriage, don't have a gay marriage. But but don't trouble other people, even if you believe their decision is wrong, morally wrong, or incorrect. Because the law to which you subscribe in America says you don't get to make that choice for other people. End of story. And we are losing the plot on that. And that worries me deeply because once you lose the plot on that basic concept that you do you and you are constitutionally protected in doing that, other than other than certain things that we agree are, are, are crimes, when we start criminalizing people's views and their ideologies and their choices, I think we start going down a slippery slope. And I say this with due respect to people who believe that abortion is is. By the way, the by the way, let, let,
0: let's let's change. Everyone say, either way, however you believe, because just as today we're dealing now with the, you know, overturning of Roe v. Wade and Casey. Yep. Who yep. knows what happens next time around? That's right. That's exactly right. So one has to not think about, we do a
1: great, an interesting job in the news of trying to take away the abstraction from stories, right? So, because whether you think of Afghanistan or Ukraine or uh, a, a poor woman um, in, in Texas getting an abortion or someone in Atlanta waiting to register to vote or to actually vote or somebody earning minimum wage, it's all an abstraction, right? If it doesn't occur to you, if it's not part of your life, it becomes hard to understand. It's the reason why we don't do well on climate change because we can't always feel it happening and see it happening. Part of justice and democracy is understanding that these things are rights, regardless of whether you will ever use that right. People always say, well, there's slippery slopes and this will happen to me. What if it never happens to you? What if they take away gay marriage? Doesn't affect me. What if they take away abortion? Doesn't affect me. What if they uh, have bad voting uh, registration rights in in Georgia? Doesn't affect me. What if they don't have a high enough minimum wage? Doesn't affect me because I earn much more than minimum wage. But all of these things are still things I should care about. Why don't we Why don't we have a proper health care in the system system in this country? Because most people get their health care either through Medicare, Medicaid, or their work. The vast majority of people. Very small. Majority of people don't get access to health care, so we don't worry about it all that much. We need to worry about all rights and justice and equality for everybody. It needs to feel that serious to us, regardless of whether you share the view that whatever someone wants to engage in, be it gay marriage or or um, or or abortion, has anything to do with you, or whether it's it's within your realm of things that you like. Or support that's not the point democracy is the point justice is the point equality is the point point. and that's what we have to fight as warriors for regardless of the underlying topic
0: yeah I mean this whole this this whole scenario is just so similar to the handmaid's tale that show on television and it's scary because if they can take away this right of a woman maybe next right that they take away is the right to drive the right to vote maybe we start I, going I, maybe we start going completely backwards right. and opposite why because now you have a majority on the supreme court that believes one way as opposed to a way which you know again we've been living with for 50 years clearly there are people that aren't happy with some people's choices on both sides of the aisle but mind but you okay. as they say mind cool. your own business you live Have your business. life, it's let fine. them live their own. In, in
1: in 1981, I'm going to show you a picture here. In 1981, this is this is my family. My father ran for office. Okay? In 1981, I was 11 years old. This is when he he won in 1987, but in 1981 he ran for the first time. He was an immigrant to Canada. And, and and I was his biggest campaigner. We're sitting in the car on election night. We're driving to the campaign office. We turn on the radio. The broadcast has begun. They're saying the polls have closed much too early to tell what's going on, except for one constituency, which they were able to call the one in which my dad was running. And they, they determined that the person against whom he had run, the incumbent, had won by a landslide. And I was devastated. And I looked at my dad. I said, I can't believe we lost. And he said, we were never going to win. I said, what do you mean? And he said, we weren't going to win. There's no chance we were going to win. I said, well, why'd you run? He said, because I can. Because they came from apartheid South Africa, where he couldn't even vote right. because of the color of his skin. And his point is, in, in in Canada at the time, which was very similar politically to America, you can run for office, you can lose, and you don't get thrown into jail for it. You don't get you don't get persecuted because of it. You, your view is out there. You can you can debate with people. You can live on a street where people have different campaign signs, and life goes on fine. I'm not sure what my dad told me in 1981 still stands today. Because I think we, we, we don't have those conversations. Even we don't enjoy those friendships with people. I think we, you and I make a point of trying to do that, finding people who we don't agree with. But you talk about Handmaid's Tale. The book was written by Margaret Atwood in 1985. Yep. It, it would have seemed outlandish back then. It was no more outlandish green-
0: than the book 1984 by Orwell.
1: And, and and that was actually influential to her writing this book in 1985, because George Orwell, uh, which had, this had been written many years ago, but that concept of 1984 was prevalent in 1984 in people's minds about this surveillance society, and this controlling society. So she was actually writing that with George Orwell in mind. and And to think that it was all those years ago it was outlandish and no one would ever believe such a thing would happen and how current it seemed when the tv show came out on hulu and how current it seemed today i just interviewed her uh, last week cuz i do this banned book club and 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 she's a it's an often banned book so not only is it realistic that it might happen but there are still people who ban the book because right. they don't want
0: people hearing about the right. idea i mean i didn't happen. i didn't mean we're, to i didn't yeah i didn't mean to say that the book was written in 84 i was talking about the book 1984 yeah, yeah, no, that's right, right that's right but, but what's but, interesting is if you look to see point. exactly what's going on right now with the burning of the books or with the with the ban lists, and so oh, yeah. and then of course the following year when you had the handmaid's tale it's yeah. just you know all of the things years ago right. that we read I mean, I remember right. reading. Paranite 451, book banning. Exactly. Handmaid Sale has a scene in it about book burning, burning of
1: books. Where are we? Where are we, Michael? In that troubles we're burning where we're at. Books. I, I totally get that there are valid arguments from parents who say, it's not that I'm against the topic. I just think that maybe my, you know, fifth grade kid, it might be a little early for them to be talking about. I think these are valid fair. arguments. They're Perfectly valid. Valid, valid arguments. That should be had, which is why people should go to their school board meetings. They should run for school board. They should go to their parent teachers association. It's all local. This whole situation about the Supreme Court, the Federalist Society and loading the courts started because particular groups, conservatives are smarter than liberals about this, funded local judicial elections. Michael, who pays attention to a local judicial election? You go into that ballot box and and there's there's judges you never heard a name you never heard any of their names but what happens if for 5000 bucks somebody had bought them signs and there's two guys running against each other Velshi and 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 Cohen and all of a sudden you saw the Velshi signs or you saw the Cohen signs you didn't see the other one so you go in there and you vote for them that's how people became judges back in the day they'd also shake down lawyers for donations but that's how it that's how it happened we need to participate at a very local level. You can't just argue one day when the Supreme Court strikes something down. You have
0: to see the 40-year battle, and you have to be in that battle. Yeah, I totally agreed. But let me move on for a sec, Ali, and ask you this. The Times is also reporting that the disclosure of the opinion to Politico was absolutely unprecedented in such a major case in modern times and threw the Supreme Court into turmoil as it faced a head-spinning breach of its traditional Additional secrecy. The court has largely been immune to the sort of leaks that have been common in other major institutions. But amid calls for an investigation, justices, clerks, and others close to the court may find a new atmosphere of suspicion and um, amid speculation about who was to blame and what their motivation was. So, first off, how do you feel about the leak personally? I mean, do you think it was justified in that? What the decision pretends is an assault on women's rights to choose, or does it disturb you to have a court politicized to such a startling degree? Yeah, so
1: that's an interesting point. Uh, Number one is that as shocking as the leak was and the information in it was— it's not shocking, right? It's not shocking that this is where the Supreme Court is going in terms of the decisions So, putting aside the leak. Um, I don't know what the motivation would have been because most people should have seen it coming unless the idea was, hey, it's worth understanding uh, that this is really going to happen. I don't know what you do about that information now that one has it. I, I, I don't have a problem with leaks in general in life. Sometimes I think they're strategic, particularly with companies and things like that, where they put out a trial balloon to see how the public will will deal with it. I do think it's not appropriate at the Supreme Court. Um, I I just think that we already are in a world where the Supreme Court is politicized, and there are a lot of people who don't respect it, a lot of people who think it's a a politicized body, and I don't know how exactly we deal with that because to some degree it is a politicized body now, Uh, but this kind of stuff does not help that particular situation. Now, it's early hours of this conversation, so we don't have enough detail about where it came from, but the Supreme Court, as you know, does not leak. So the idea that it did um, contributes to the concern that I have with respect to institutions in general and their decay and their and their devolving. So I I, I generally speaking don't like the idea that this leaked. On the other hand, I'm I'm the kind of person who's. I I give credit to people when I understand their motivations. I can validate them. I don't necessarily agree with them, but I, I don't know enough about what the motivation would have been to do this. And once I hear that, I'll reconsider it. But at the moment, it worries me that these kind of things happen. I, I start to worry that there are no institutions that are sacred or have sacred rules or or, or where even good governance uh, and, and, and morals guide anybody anymore. So I, I don't know. And I don't know what the motivation is. I don't know what this is meant to do. It's got a lot of people uh, jumpy and angry, but I don't know whether it advantages or disadvantages um, pro-choice people or or people who want to see abortion banned. I'm, I'm not really
0: sure where this where this lands anyone. Yeah, I don't know either, other than if you think about it from just a realistic standpoint, the person who leaked this document obviously thought that there was a benefit to them or to their ideology, right, about leaking this. I mean, let's take a look. I mean, for example, what Judge Alito, you know, actually wrote when he goes, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. This document is not some... Quick thought document about you know oh, what you know my position on abortion you know um on my position on plan, you know Planned Parenthood versus Casey this was really well thought out this is a draft opinion right which of course will go through several ren- you know renditions yeah. and so on however yeah. the notion that he can come up with such strong language right. We hold that Rowan Casey must be overruled, right? Um, It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. And I'm scratching my head and I'm saying, that's episode one of The Handmaid's Tale. Right then and there. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God. I'm like... Did he really just say that? Is that really where we're at right now? That our elected representatives, most of them are so full of shit that it's scary. It's the reason why Donald Trump ended up elevating himself to the presidency. Because 99% of the people you ask on the street, do you trust your politician? And they'll tell you, fuck no. Right? But lo and behold, we're now supposed to trust these representatives to make a determination on what your morals are and how you choose to deal with this very personal issue.
1: Yeah, when rights become the the domain of political whim, that's the problem, right? Um, we 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 fundamentally believe in a in majority rule, but we we have certain protections and rights because sometimes the majority doesn't protect the minority. Sometimes people don't. Um, you know, we, we need certain rights to be enshrined. It's why we have constitutions and why we have uh, supreme court decisions and why they have it that way all around the world? Because there's some things that are more important than uh, should be decided uh, based on who happens to be in power. And a particular time. And we are at a time in which the, the the confidence and trust and respect for elected officials is at an all-time low. And again, we're hyper-politicized, right? And that's not always been the case, Michael. We're similar ages. You remember a time when there were both Republicans and Democrats who would look at issues on the face of them, uh, vote against their own parties, uh, cross party lines, have good... I, I worked for a guy named Lee Hamilton, he was a congressman, well-known congressman from Indiana. He was, I think you'd probably describe him today as a conservative Democrat. Um, And he, you know, people, people would turn to him in Congress, junior people, Democrats and Republicans would turn to him to say, how is Lee processing this information or this bill? We're not there anymore. Everything's so hyper politicized and partisan and polarized that to take an issue that is this important, there are probably a handful of issues in America that are this important, that are this rights-based around voting, about basic rights, Second Amendment. Should, sure, second. right, correct. Should these things be at the whim of of partisan, politicized, polarized politics? I I don't think they should. I, and I think they're all really important. And as you argued at the beginning of this, we should be debating them, but we don't We don't have active debates on these things at all ever, whether it's second amendment, whether it's uh, healthcare, we just don't have them. And so I would rather say, we're not, abortion, the the discussion about abortion didn't go away because Roe v. Wade w- was in place. It was always there and we should always be having it, but we should have mechanisms in which people's basic rights are protected beyond the whim, whims of elected politics. So that, what what was in that draft worries me about the way we're thinking about basic rights. Basic rights should not be subject to to, you know, political vicissitudes.
0: You know, it's more than just your right to choose there's a whole subset of an issue here that really distinguishes those who are rich and those who are poor, Really, That's which exactly is the basis right. of Roe in the first place. Rest assured, Correct. someone with money who ends up getting a young lady pregnant has an option to put her with himself on an airplane. And go to Canada, go to England, right. go to Switzerland, go to any country yes. in the world yes. that does abortions that aren't back alley and take right. care of it. Correct. So this now creates, again, it's a law that has Class differential based upon economic status. And that's a real problem. And it's something that really people don't talk about. But then, again, I started thinking about the whole issue of why somebody would leak it. And then, you know, I could sort of play both sides of the spectrum here, right? So what we know about these draft opinions, when they get circulated, that based upon what the reaction of the country is, there's a possibility that the justice— could change their decision that they could change how they will end up voting on the um, on you know on the um, on the law. That's one. So maybe the person put it out there in hopes that it would change one of the justices so that Roe does not get overturned. But then again, you could argue to the contrary and say that it was put out there in order to gauge because. These people just want to see what the effect on society is going to be when it passes and it overturns Roe. I mean, I could play both sides. So I'm just trying to like when like with the book Anonymous. I remember reading it while I was in prison, trying to read every single word to figure out, you know, who was it that wrote it? And of course, I never would have guessed, you know, uh, who it was. It was Miles Taylor. He wasn't even on my he wasn't even on my top 100 list.
1: Yeah. And so there's one argument that that suggests that this hurts Republicans because it's such a key issue for them in heading into the midterms in the primaries that if you took it off the table, what what happens? What do Republicans do? If this fight, which was in many cases going to be motivating for people to turn out the vote. We know we're heading into a midterm election where Republican enthusiasm is is higher than Democratic enthusiasm. It's generally higher for the other party anyway, going into midterm elections. Uh, and in this particular case, there are issues that the Repu- the Democratic Party is facing. There are issues that Joe Biden's facing in terms of his approval record, uh, his approval ratings. So there's some argument that it, it takes a little bit out of the air of the Republican conservative balloon. But I don't know, I, 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 I can't, I'm like you, I can't figure it out. I can't sit there and say who as an individual who I know as a, a voter will act differently as a result of this. It does strike me that Democrats should act differently as a result of this. But to your point, this has been coming for a long time. It, it, why would you act differently in this election versus the last election? in in November of 2020 because you also knew this was an issue then and in 2016 you knew that supreme court nominations would be an issue so i'm not i'm not really clear on who's motivated to do something differently as yeah. a result of this it, it it just it just heightens the discussion. It makes it more urgent. But you remember we had major marches about this. We had women who thought when Donald Trump was elected that their handmaids tail things would like, like things would happen. So I, I I think maybe we'll learn more in the coming days, but it's
0: not it's not crystal clear to me right now why this happened. Yeah, me either. And I guess when I listen to them saying, Oh, now you're gonna to start to see a massive amount of uh, women coming out to vote in the, both the November and the general uh, election, whether Republican or Democrat, they're obviously against this, and I'm not so sure. Uh, honestly, I'm not so sure. I've I've been wrong on several different things, and who would this? Who knows? Yeah, who knows? So it's- yeah, so so to the
1: extent that in theory
0: it shouldn't it
1: shouldn't motivate any Democratic women any differently than we've seen in the past, it could. Motivate Republican women who think this is a bridge too far, right? Who might say, "I'm Republican. I'm conservative. I want smaller government. I want lower taxes. I want less regulation in general." But this is not one that I would have
0: uh, supported. They're now but, regulating your uterus. It's so it's fucking ridiculous. Right. That's all I, that's I can say. That's different
1: than regulating your business. That's, exactly. that's Entirely it, different. Exactly. So, but, but, but but again, I, but we would have had this this this. We would have had this decision. Um, before the midterm elections, generally speaking, anyway, it was expected within the next couple of months. So so I'm not I'm not even sure about that because you, you would have you would have had the same reaction two months from now. So, be.
0: Yeah, so you and I are both puzzled. by Yeah, this. puzzled. Now, on Sunday, you interviewed The Handmaid's Tale author, as you were staying Margaret Atwood on MSNBC on your show, where she predicted that if a totalitarian regime ever took root in the United States, it would be in the form of a Christian theocracy. With the Alito decision potentially overturning Roe v. Wade and everything else that's currently happening, how far off are we from actually living in Gilead, right? Would a Republican-controlled House and Senate majority in 2022 literally drag the nation there even faster? Yep. I, I, you know, I'm always. Well, don't confused. be so certain, in, don't, Ali, don't be so certain
1: in your answer. Let's know. take I'm, a second and think about yes, it. I'm saying yes to your question. I'm not. I'm not saying yes to the right. I, I'm, I'm. I'm puzzled because one of the things that I've always thought uh, interesting about uh, Republicans is is this idea of "Don't tread on me," right? I've got rights, mm-hmm. and and that you you shouldn't intr- intrude on those rights. And one of the things that we did establish at the founding of this country, although people seem to be disagreeing on this uh, ever since the founding of this country, is that um, the establishment of a state religion is not allowed. It is. I'm trying to remember which amendment is that. Oh, yeah, the First Amendment. You know, we talk about <laughs> You're the it, one that they shit all over me. Right. That's right. So we 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 talk about it a lot with respect to press freedoms and freedom of expression. But it is also freedom from the imposition of a state religion. It is the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. And I would hope that people who are constitutionalists, many of whom identify as Republicans and conservatives, would say That's not that's not what we do. That's not in the books. Again, you're welcome to vote for people who share your faith or your religious beliefs and your beliefs about moral issues can be shared by people, regardless of what your religion are, because every religion has a flavor of it that that is more conservative. I'm I'm very troubled by this. And I thought that was interesting that 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 Margaret Atwood brought that up because it was what was on her mind in 1985 when she wrote the book. And it's what is still on her mind today. Now, sometimes people get committed to whatever idea they have, right? I'm an economics guy, so I see all problems through an economics lens. And sometimes I have people say to me, Belshi, you got blinders on, everything's not economics. So I wondered whether with Margaret Atwood, having thought about the idea that the the, uh, autocratic government we would have would be a theocracy in the United States. Remember, she she lives in Canada, she's a Canadian. So the idea that you would think about that is intriguing she she's very committed to it and she believes it to be true. And I'm believing that she might be right. And that would just be not only a bad thing, but it would be so fundamentally bad because we actually have a constitution that says otherwise. Right. (laughs) Iran does not have a constitution that says it can't be a theocracy. So guess what? It is. Saudi Arabia does not have a constitution that says it can't be a theocracy. So it is. So is the Vatican. That's fine if you've done it by design, but by design, we're the opposite. By design, we have said as the first amendment to the United States Constitution that there can be no establishment of a state religion, and yet religion seems to guide a lot of our decisions. Look, I always thought it was weird that we say in God we trust on the money, because it's not that we don't trust in God, but fundamentally there's a separation of church and state that Americans have always had trouble with, but now it seems like we're having more and more trouble, or conversely, we're having less and less trouble with it. We're actually fine with religion playing a central role in our lives. I'm I, I I'm a religious guy. I believe in God, I but I'm like you. You do you. If you believe in God, you should be able to, to to deal with that. If you don't, totally fine with me as well. Then when it starts making our, our, our political and legislative decisions, I think that's problematic.
0: Right. You know, when the statement, in God we trust, and that was only half, they took the other part off, you know, the bill, all others pay cash. Right. I mean, you know, that's that it it was supposed to be, I guess, a joke somewhere. Right. right? right. But, you know, going back to Margaret Atwood for a second, because when you look up, you know, um, The Handmaid's Tale and it talks about what it is. Right. It's this um, it's this futuristic dystopian novel. Right. That sets in, in New England. Right. But it's patriarchal. It's white supremacist. It's totalitarian, theonomic state. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. You know, that this small state, Gilead, right, overthrows the United States government and they basically become their own separate um, country with all of these rules and regulations that basically impinge uh, no, I should say basically that impinge upon a woman's reproductive right. If yep. others can't, well, that we have the right to take you to produce children, et cetera. I mean, it's really a very um, it's a disturbing novel. And the show was equally disturbing. Yep. Um, and I I really do fear that that's what's happening now. And I have no qualms like you. Right. I believe in my God the way I want to believe. I pray to my God the way I want to pray to him. I don't judge you how you pray, and I hope you don't judge me how I pray. And it should be the same thing here with what a woman does with her body. Nobody asked you, Mr. John Doe or Mrs. Doe yeah. to turn around and to say what I that's can right. and should not do, what my values are. You worry about you. You you want to explode the world with children? Have as many as God will give to you. Yes. But don't fault me because this is what I choose to do. And not everybody lives in the same circumstances. Yep. And that's why Roe made so much sense. And overthrowing and overturning it is really a very significant problem that I truly believe will have lasting effects right. greater than just reproduction of a child. That's exactly right. And remember Roe Roe was about the
1: the the, the ability for a, a patient to make a decision with their doctor in privacy. Right? So it's it's much more than than abortion. It's the idea that the state does not have a place in the in the doctor's offices of the nation, in the bedrooms of the nation. I remember when, when we were talking about uh, gay rights in Canada, which was, m- we, were, we were much further ahead than the U.S. on this uh, by a long time. And I remember Pierre Elliott Trudeau, the prime minister at the time, saying that the, the, the state has no business in the bedrooms of the nation. It's a simple, interesting point. The state has That's no business in the, in the doctor's offices of the nation. It is that point that is more important because, because it's not just whether you like abortion or not. It's like, do you have the right and the business to be involved in someone's personal medical decisions? Because where does it stop? Where does it stop? I, I understand that abortions a, a big deal, but once you have crossed that line of the state has a role in some of this decision-making, which you you rightly point out is what The Handmaid's Tale is all about. It's not, a, it is about abortion because they actually have a scene in which they hang people at a, on a public mm-hmm. wall. And one of those scenes is doctors. And they were doctors who performed abortions back before the, the, the revolution or whatever took place. It was legal at the time. And the fact that it was legal when they did it was irrelevant because now they were using them as examples. So it's this point right. that w- once you get to Gilead, It's not about abortion. It's about everything else. You have lost control, not just of your ability to make reproductive choices on your own. You've lost choices about everything else, how you spend
0: your money, where you spend your money, what you worship, who you worship, who you talk to, (laughs) whether you're allowed to read or not. And I'm People Do you say, remember there was a scene where a woman was reading from the Bible and they ended up cutting her thumb off or her, yes, or her index right. finger? Look, And this, this is why I say that you know one thing leads to another, which right. leads to another, and everything that it's leading to is a loss of rights. That's but what the I concern to, needs to be, yes. Yeah, it sure does. But I want to switch gears for a second, and I want to talk to you for a moment about Elon Musk taking over Twitter because you recently tweeted a statement made by Roger McNamee Mm -hmm. The only way to force change at Twitter is to change the business model that rewards negative content. Yes. If you want to fix this, if you want to save democracy, you have to do something about surveillance capitalism and algorithmic amplification. Now, would you do me a favor? Can you unpack for my listeners what he means by surveillance capitalism? Like, how likely is Musk to tackle these issues and become the type of, you know, good corporate Citizen that helps create a more informed electorate. I think
1: it's low, but I will give. I will say this: Elon Musk is one of the smartest people in the world. So if he were mm, to come around on this, uh, wouldn't that be amazing, right? If Elon Musk were to say, in the way that he thinks about electric cars or going to Mars, "I'm going to solve this problem," that would be amazing. Surveillance Capital is is the concept that um, you have traded off uh, for the enjoyment of the internet or or technological convenience, you've traded off the idea that people can make money off of surveilling you, right? They they watch you. They know everything you do. People always think their phones are listening to them because uh, they'll say something and then all of a sudden an ad will pop up. Well, phone's probably not listening to you, but Google is so smart about everything you do and know that it knows things about you before you know them. For instance, you're working on your computer. Your computer through Google will be able to tell if there's a tremor in your hand, Right. And and maybe they know that you're getting Parkinson's or something's wrong or that your cognitive abilities are unusual. Now, what happens if they sold that information to your employer? Because there's no law that says they can't. And your employer finds out before you do that you're getting Parkinson's. Um, your computer will know because someone emailed you to say that there's been a family member who's passed in Columbus, Ohio. What if all of a sudden maybe you're looking for a fare to Columbus and your, your fares are higher than mine would be because they know you've got to get there for a funeral. So this we 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 reward surveillance, right? We're in a world in which we allow it when it's not government surveillance. This is capitalism, capitalistic surveillance. So that's problem number one with social media. Problem number two is the algorithms that cause you to see things that in a naturally occurring world, you wouldn't necessarily see as much of, which is normally this propaganda, right? It's either health propaganda, which is still the the biggest thing on the internet, or political propaganda. Now, the issue here is not free speech. Everybody's couching this the wrong way. There's no issue with free speech. Twitter is not subject to free speech. It is a private enterprise. It's not the government in position of censorship. If the government were imposing censorship on Twitter, that would be a free speech issue. But that's not happening. The issue here is the velocity with which misinformation can spread. So a, a healthy political system depends on an informed electorate. Most of us get our information off of some form of digital media or social media. And it's not, in, I think we can both agree, it's not informing us any better, right? This, these algorithms have caused us to get into echo chambers, have caused us, if you if you ever click on anything that's nonsense or conspiracy theory on, on Facebook, it's all you'll ever get after that. So that's the regulation we need. People phrasing this as, oh, the government is, is silencing critics of whatever, that's BS. Nobody's silencing anybody. Twitter is just one big toilet and everybody's in it. What the government needs to do is say, can we control the speed with which you are going to wreck society, right? Can we give fair um, amplification to everybody? Because that's not how it works. Good news doesn't get amplified as much as bad news does. True news doesn't get amplified as much as salacious, uh, sensationalistic, uh, untrue news does. So we ha- it is advantage misinformation right now. And that's the problem. If you want a better society and a better democracy, you need a social media that takes responsibility. Now, there's no obligation for them to do so. They are constitutionally free to do whatever they want. But Elon Musk says he wants Twitter to be the town square, not the town toilet at the moment.
0: Yeah, except the problem is that that's not what people want. You know, nobody – it's like when you see a car accident on the side of the road, everybody slows down. They they want to see the blood. Or when was the last time that you at MSNBC ever, you know, came on the air and said, breaking news, right? Today, an aircraft from England to JFK International Airport it. landed safely. Yeah. News yeah. at 11, yeah. right? Everybody's waiting for yeah. the thing that, you know – I, I don't know the tragedy, the pain, the the this, the that. I mean, you know, even like for example, when all of my bullshit happened with the Stormy Daniels matter. My God, you would think that you know this was um, you know we found an alien life form right here, and it was um, it was unbelievable. And that's just what that's the community and Twitter and Facebook and all of the Instagram and all the TikTok. All it does is it. It drives people to that. I mean, for God's sakes, on TikTok, it's like you know. Does anybody there wear a shirt? I mean, it's you know. And if you <laughs> wear a shirt, you don't I have followers. Will. That's the only way. To, that, that'll be the well, way. Well, then, care. then, then Ali, you won't have many followers. But let me then ask you this, and move on for here for a sec. The January Six Committee has announced that public hearings will begin yes. about a month from now yeah. on June 9th. Yeah, I'm curious what you're hearing from your sources about what will be presented. Is it likely to be damning and overwhelming, as some say? And how far do you think that it'll go in changing the mind of Americans who don't believe what happened on January 6th was that big of a deal? I think it will. It, I mean, uh,
1: uh, Jamie Raskin on the committee told me the other day it's going to blow the blow the roof off. I think the it'll be damning. But you tell me, you, is there any shame anymore? like will it matter? No. I mean, look at the McCarthy stuff, no. right? I mean in a normal world someone would be backpedaling and making excuses for and saying they didn't mean it. McCarthy made a beeline to Donald Trump after it was disclosed that 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 he had said uh, ostensibly been critical of Trump after January 6th, Made a beeline for him. So th- th- there's no shame. Shame has died and as a result of that, um I don't know whether anybody's heart and soul will be moved by what they hear. Now what it what it may do is it may eliminate all plausible deniability, right? It may it may cause some Republicans who have just sort of th- thought this is a democratic witch hunt and they're all going after Donald Trump and they won't leave him alone. It may make it hard for people I know in my circle who are Republicans who who sort of echo that, right? They're they're, they're small government, low tax Republicans. They don't, they're not interested in these social issues. They're not interested in Donald Trump. They're not interested in the xenophobia, but th- they've been able to, let it all go because nobody wants to pay a dollar more in taxes. It may cause them to say, wow, this is really serious. Republicans have really staked out this anti-democratic ground. And and I can't in good conscience in November cast a ballot for that. That's what it may do. But I will tell you, I'm answering the question because you asked me, because if you ask me if I really believe that's what's going to happen, I'm an optimistic guy in general in life.
0: You tell me, uh, is there any reason to be optimistic that something will happen
1: in, in June 9th days
0: after? I used to be an optimistic guy very much like you. And unfortunately, after getting kicked in the nuts by my government, um, you know, based upon action, starting with this bullshit steel dossier, the Fucking prog nonsense. than the Mueller report. How reminiscent is the conversations you're hearing now about the January sixth committee ha- parallel into the Mueller report? Right, right. It's it's the same. And and I I gave hundreds of hours to the yeah. Mo- to the yeah. Mueller team. I mean, I think I'm like the second to Don McGinn. I'm the second most quoted person in the in the Mueller report. Well. Right. What did that do? So it said, oh, Congress, if you want to bring in action, then you have the right to bring in action. Oh, geez. Thanks for telling us that, Robert Mueller. Right. I mean, it didn't it it tells a great story. I'm sure whoever published the book. Right. Made some money off of it. You know. But that's what it is. It's a nice book. I got I got my Mueller report signed by all the lawyers who were analysts who, who who helped us through as we were covering it. But it's a book now. That's all it is it's nice. Yeah, I mean that's that's all that is. And maybe one day there'll be a class that's going to study it, but I don't think. And look, I think Jamie Raskin is freaking great. Oh, I yeah. really do and I think I think he's fabulous and I I really do. And I think that somebody like Jamie Raskin if he can take that report and Fucking do something with it, right? It's like even this shit that just came out about the – it was broken by the New York Times. I think it was Eric Lipton wrote an article about how Trump just paid $750,000 to settle the pick uh, with the hotel and so on. They have all the emails. I've seen those emails between Ivanka, between Stephanie Wolkoff, between uh, Rick Gates, between, you know, uh, the the heads of the hotel, all saying, no, 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 charge more, charge more. You can't do stuff like that. But the law doesn't apply to the Trumps because they say so. And if, in fact, you tell them that you're breaking the law, they give you the double fingers wishing that they had forearms to give you four middle fingers. (laughs) And for some reason, they manage to just avoid any uh, any it's responsibility for violating and breaking laws, it's incredible. The same shit with Alvin Bragg. He has the documents. Even Sid was ready to indict Mark Palmer. As puzzled have, as you are, done.
1: except you're more puzzled because you're in it and you you've lived it and you're a lawyer. So I, I'm I'm wildly puzzled by. I, I've never seen. I mean, if anybody had this much evidence in anything else in life, it would be determined. So I am I am. I am not sure where this goes. I will say, I, I've talked to Jamie Raskin a lot. When he told me this, I think it was last week. He delivered it with a level of passion that I'm not even used to from Jamie Raskin, from whom I'm used to a lot of passion. So I, I will say this: he says there's there's enough here. I, I just don't know that anybody hears it. That's my problem. Does anybody that is the problem? Who doesn't know this story? Because they're not going to cover it on Fox. If they go uh, if they go into prime time with these hearings, which I think they will. Fox is going to cover it. The other day we were MSNBC was talking about Macaulay, uh, uh McCarthy's recordings and CNN was talking about McCarthy's recordings and Fox was talking about Disney and how they're indoctrinating your kids into making them into
0: transgender like literally. Right, because I because I give a crap if Goofy's sleeping with Minnie. It makes no difference to me. I mean, but, but anyway, let me just move, move on for a second. Because you, you bring up a good point about Kevin McCarthy. So let's talk about let's talk about him for a second. Because despite setting a date for public hearings, the committee is still digging for information and announced that it'll seek information from Kevin McCarthy. Now do you that's see quite, McCarthy sweet, cooperating? Right? I mean, right? <laughs> oh, yes, is? Kevin's going to show up. Do you think? Do you see McCarthy um, cooperating, or will he instead use this as an opportunity, right, to burnish his credentials with the far right by refusing yes. cooperation, knowing that thus far that there has been very few, if any, consequences for those who ignored the subpoenas. Zero consequences
1: at the moment, right? So we're we're waiting to see what the Department of Justice does and. Everybody keeps telling me about how the wheels of justice turn slowly, uh, oh. you know, but but except democracies at stake here. But no, at the moment, if I were any of them, I wouldn't pay any attention to this at all because there are no consequences to, to doing this. I would have thought that there are moments including right after January 6th, where we actually heard the right things out of Republicans. And I thought they meant it. And that was, you know, that was a bridge too far. But think about McCarthy. Think about all of the Republicans who have said crazy stuff since January 6th. Who's been called on the carpet? Madison Cawthorn for suggesting that there were orgies and cocaine. That was the bridge too far for McCarthy. McCarthy called Cawthorn in. Right. Read him the Riot Act. Macar- uh, uh, Cawthorne had to apologize for saying that Republicans have orgies and and do cocaine. Neither of which I care about because I'm still in your category of you do you. But that was the bridge too far. Not the undermining of democracy. Not the insurrection. Not the attempted coup. None of that is is too far for Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Madison Cawthorne talking about orgies and coke is too far. So I, I don't hold out hope that 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 Kevin McCarthy, whom I always I, I always always thought had a good head on his shoulders. Um, and maybe he does. Maybe he's just better at politics than than a guy like me ever would be, because he understands this is how you play politics. But I, I would have thought his his fealty to the Constitution and those members of the Republican Party who were Tea Partiers back then and and Freedom Caucus people who were all about the Constitution first and law and order and all that kind of stuff. I'm 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 very puzzled as to where everybody's principles have all of a sudden
0: gone. Yeah, their principles have now got right back to In God We Trust. Right? Uh, it's all. Be- it's just a big gigantic to grift by all of them they it's all about the money and the power and the grift so you know as we're now winding down the hour I have just really one last question for you Section 3 of the 14th Amendment was added to the U.S. Constitution after the Civil War, and it was meant to keep future and former Confederates out of Congress. Now it's being used to prevent Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene from running for re-election for her role in the January 6th insurrection. Now you wrote of Greene, and I'm going to quote now, She is part of a new Republican Party that believes facts. Words and history don't matter. Red lines don't exist anymore amongst elected Republicans because there is little expectation that there will be any consequences at all to crossing them. How do we get the public to once again become outraged by figures like Marjorie Taylor Greene? All right, because the people are not, they're not outraged. It's almost like they're fucking laughing at her, like this is a Saturday Night Live skit, because people seem at this point in time, at least to me, they seem almost ignored to her behavior. How do we no. return to a sense of moral shame to these people? Because, again, you know, we make fun of this sort of shit on, you know, comics do. Oh, and we right. all laugh yeah. about it. But that's where it's supposed exactly to be serious. funny. Right. And right. No, she's, There's no
1: consequence for her. Remember, she wins by massive margins. D- Democrats don't even run a candidate in her district. Like, it's so overwhelming. Republican. Doesn't matter what you do in that district. But but it is this misinformation circle, right? She has got her constituents convinced that she is fighting some evil empire of pedophiles and Jewish space lasers and all sorts of nonsense that she comes up with. And people who don't consult different forms of media fall for this. My, my, you know, my one piece of advice, I don't care whether anybody's liberal or conservative, triangulate your information like a cell phone. You know, the cell phone tower, you got to hit three towers. So that's why the cell phone company always knows where you are, which is why when the police want to track your activity, they know where you were because it's three towers. Do that with your information, get it from three sources. People who believe people like Marjorie Taylor Greene do not triangulate their information. They're getting them from one source or one type of source only. At some point when she says the nonsense, she says the critical mind should say, that doesn't seem reasonable that that would be the case. Let me check some other reliable source to see whether that's the case. But she's got everybody fooled because we are in an ecosystem where everybody is in an echo chamber and they just listen to the stuff they listen to. And that's OK. But We're, we're not going to solve her. we got to solve us. The, the problem right. with Marjorie Taylor Greene is our, our media consumption habits and the fact that we don't have the critical skills to say, you know what, you're full of nonsense and you should be thrown out of office.
0: Look, I don't care. What your station in life is. I don't care what your education level is. When they start talking about Jewish space lasers, which are causing the hurricanes and the, and the, and the weather issues and who the drying up. up stuff? Of, I mean, by the way, who cares where she comes up with it? She's a sick person. And so sick people come up with sick shit. But the guy who is a machinist, the guy who's a professor at the school, right. the guy who the guy who delivers your Domino's pizza or works right. at, at Dunkin' Donuts, they're not stupid. They're not yeah. stupid right. people. Now maybe they can't do and you know they they can't do coding or they can't do Pythagorean's theory. Who cares? They're not stupid. They realize that this is pure and utter bullshit. How the fuck can you possibly pull the lever at at the, you know, at the voting machine for somebody who says something so stupid? And if you do believe hypothetically that there are Jewish space lasers, just look at the other crazy shit that comes out of her mouth. I mean, it's one right. crazy thing it, after. Very I mean, hard do you to really believe it. that? Very I mean, hard do you really up. believe that there are Democrats out there that have this cabal that they eat children in order to live longer? Right. So, in other words, are you trying to say that Nancy Pelosi is really 200 years old? That's right. Right. I mean, right. Ser- seriously. And by the way, assuming that that was true, wouldn't you want to wouldn't you want to be part of that? Yeah, I mean no, right if you think weird. about it I mean everybody's worried about you know how long they have on this planet well if you could go ahead and do something and live to 200 right. I mean that's answer. why nothing right nothing that she says mm-hmm. makes any sense it's yeah. so stupid it's laughable but yeah you're right people are buying into this bullshit why why? I came back from Ukraine, where people, young
1: people, were telling me the same thing about their parents, who were buying into the Russian propaganda. And I, I said, "Do they have access to better information if they chose to?" And they said, "Everybody in Russia has a VPN. Everybody can get better information. People buy this stuff because we are losing our ability to be critical thinkers. We listen to things because they're entertaining, or they sound like good explanations, or they make you feel good because of your station light. Whatever it is, we have we are losing. Our, and I don't know where we fix that. I don't know whether I don't know. I don't think we in cable news are going to fix it. So." I don't know whether it's schools or who does it, but we if we can do one thing for our children, it's reinstill critical critical thinking skills in them. Everybody doesn't have to be a lawyer. That'd be nice if you could get that level of critical thinking skills. But if we could just teach people as, as media consumers to be better media consumers by being better critical thinkers, it will help in our voting. It'll help in who we get elected. It'll help in our discourse. We can solve a lot of these problems, but we're going the wrong direction. Totally
0: agree with you, Ali. Let me thank you again. For joining me on Maya Culpa. We're in a really weird time in US history. Um, yeah, and um, like you, all we can do is just keep putting the message out there and asking more and more people to join the movement. I agree. Ali, thank you so much. Thanks, my friend. Good seeing you. Bye, pal. And now for today's Maya Culpa. In thinking about the GOP's obsession with unmasking the leaker of Justice Alito's decision, I'm sickened by their attempt to whitewash their true intent and hide their own culpability in pushing through laws that no one fucking wants. The leak of the draft opinion, which was published by Politico and is not final, and I want to repeat that, it is not final, appears to be without precedent in modern American history a remarkable breach of protocol in an institution defined by extreme privacy, it's a signal of how the Supreme Court has increasingly lost its mystique as an institution that transcends politics. The leaker seemingly intended to influence the Justice's final vote on whether to overturn Roe v. Wade by sparking public debate and outrage and or reshape the political landscape ahead of the midterm elections. But the ideological leaning of the leaker is unclear. Supreme Court watchers have argued that they could plausibly be from either side of the debate over abortion rights, hoping to either chip away at the current anti-abortion majority on the court or lock in the majority using public pressure. Still, many on the right have converged on the idea that even in the absence of evidence that the leaker was a pro-abortion rights individual, the leak was a horrific act. In fact, the horrific act. Moreover, they are insisting that this nefarious leak was done by an agent of the far left to damage the court and put maximum pressure on the justices. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky told reporters on Tuesday, you need, it seems to me, excuse the lecture, to concentrate on what the news is today, not a leaked draft, but the fact that the draft was leaked. Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, another Republican and a member of the Judiciary Committee, said the leak was an attack on the court. And now it's up for Senator Ted Cruz, Republican of Texas, who called it the most egregious breach of trust at the Supreme Court that has ever happened. He said he believed a left-wing law clerk, angry at the direction the court is going, leaked the opinion. And aside for a moment that conservatives do not know the ideology or intentions of the leaker, and that the assumption that they're a liberal is therefore misguided. The big question is, why are they so worried about norms all of a sudden? After all, norms didn't matter when Republicans in 2016 blocked President Barack Obama's Supreme Court nominee, Merrick Garland. Norms didn't matter when Republicans went nuclear and altered the filibuster to confirm Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court the next year. Norms didn't matter when Donald Trump obliterated all of them in his four disastrous years in the White House and ultimately refused to honor the norms of a peaceful transfer of power. Only now these things fucking matter. Well, guess what? I called bullshit then and I'm calling fucking bullshit now. The Alito decision is an attack on millions of women that the GOP must now answer for today, tomorrow, and for as long as they deign to dictate to women what they can and should do with their bodies. For this, they should pay the maximum price. And thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, We all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.